Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mahita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergott, Chief Experience Officer of the CX Edge. Today, we have a very special treat for you. I'm super excited. We have Judy Hoberman. Judy is a trainer, executive coach, consultant, speaker, and author. She's also president of Selling in a Skirt. Her 30 years of sales has given her both the knowledge and sense of humor about gender differences that we should all understand and embrace instead of feeling unable to communicate. Welcome, Judy. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. I'm so excited to see you. I'm telling you, I've, I've sat through a few of your presentations with Mahita, and the audience is always super engaged and excited to hear you speak. We'll talk a little bit later about some other things you're doing with Mahita in the next few months, but um, it's such a pleasure to have you. So thank you for joining us. So to kind of jump right in for some of our listeners that maybe haven't heard you at a previous Mahita conference, could you indulge us and just give us a little information about your background and how you got started? Well, I think that the thing that most people say is like, where did you realize what you're supposed to be doing now? How did that come about? And what a wise woman told me is if you go back to when you're five or six, something happened at that point that brought you to this point. So I'm not going to go through all of those years, but I do remember when I was five or six, when my brothers were building, you know, a, a go-kart and we lived in New York. So our backyard was cement. It wasn't grass. And I remember watching. And as I watched, my father would, you know, take me by the ponytail, lift me up and say, girls, don't do that and move me away. And when he would walk away, I would come back. So this went back and forth a couple of times. But the last time I really wanted to watch. And so I went right into it and I got a hammer in my cheek. And you know what happens when you get a hammer in your cheek? You know, it's like everywhere. And so I was more nervous about what my father was going to say than my cheek. And so he said, you're, you're just, you know, you're a little girl who wastes everybody's time. You're always in the way. You ask too many questions, da, 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 da. Girls don't do this. So go back from there to now. And that's what I do. Girls do do this. So I've gone through my life going through, uh, I was in uh, commercial roofing. I was in um, copiers. And then I landed in insurance. And with insurance, I started to feel like there was a spot for women in male-dominated industries, but I had to create my own. And so I did really well in it and started to recruit women. And I didn't go out and say, I'm looking for women. I told my story and a lot of women started coming in. And years later, I started my own company and I decided if I was gonna start all over at that point, what would I have needed? And I would have needed a female mentor. And that's what I became. I became a mentor and a coach and a trainer and all of those things that I wish I would have had. So that's really like the you know, condensed version of it. Wow, that's such a great story. And I think that's why some of what you talk about is so transferable, especially to the Mahita audience. I think you know by now material handling is a very male-dominated industry. I myself have been in the industry for over 20 years. And um, you know, 20 years ago, I was really one of the only women in the organization. And over the last 20 years, I've certainly seen more women come into material handling, but I would say I have, haven't seen as many of them rise to management and especially senior management roles. When I left my former company on the executive board, I was the only woman and I was the youngest by 10 years. So I think we're starting to get more women into the industry, but what I was hoping we could talk about a little bit farther are what are some steps companies could take to improve the representation of women, especially at that mid-manager and senior executive level? 
I think part of it, Sherry, has to do with the culture. And when the culture is very uh, male-centric, which in many industries it is, including financial services, um, you don't feel like there's even a reason for you to be there. You're not welcomed in. And when sometimes when the culture is like that, you don't even want to take the chance of having to be the person that's going to disrupt the status quo. So one of the things is the culture. And the culture starts at the top. And so when a lot of times when men are talking to me about coming in and helping them bring more women in, I have to stop and say, you know, why? Why do you want to do this? Because if you don't have the reason why and you're just doing it because it's the buzzword, um, that's not the right reason. So culture is number one. The second thing is you have to also understand that we do business differently than men. We do. It's, uh, I mean, men, women do everything differently. I know it's a profound statement, but that's the truth. So what if we don't learn the same way? Or what if we don't go out on a sales call the same way? You know, we have to be able to have somebody that we can talk to. So maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's an outside person, but have somebody that, because I know for me in insurance, I had no one to talk to that looked like me, acted like me or anything. And so I had to create my own playbook. What was I, you know, an anomaly? I probably was, but I was also a single mom. So I had to make sure that I was successful. So there's all those things that play into how do you become successful? How do you bring women in? I think it's culture. I think it's, you know, having, you know, the outside resources for women. And then I think it's also making sure you understand why? Why is she there? And if you don't understand your people, if you don't know your people, they're not going to stay. They're only going to stay at this level because it's a job. They're never going to rise up because you don't know their why. When you know their why, you know the reason that they're there and how you can help them move forward. And I think that it's great. And I, the topic of mentorship comes up a lot, um, not only in Mahina, but in other talks and in groups that I've been a part of. And, you know, I think people really struggle with, well, how do I find the so-called mentor, you know, do they just pop out of the sky or, you know, sometimes it happens really organically and sometimes people like the position you are and just don't have anybody they feel can really be their mentor. So what advice would you give to people to really identify a mentor and, and find somebody that can help them through that? I think the biggest thing is you have to ask. And that's the part that's the hardest part. So I never would say, can I be your mentor? Or I would say, can you be my mentor? I would never do it like that. I would find something that a quality that I admired in someone. So if I, if I met you, Sherry, and I said, I love the way that you ask questions. Would you teach me how? So what I just did was I, I told you why I'm talking to you in the first place, what I really admire about you. And then I asked you for help without actually saying, can you help me? Can you just show me the way? Now, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to go, no, or you're going to say, of course. If you said, no, you're not my person. I know you're not. But if you said yes, then it's almost like a pretest. Let's see how we can have a conversation together. And that's really how the greatest um, mentor-mentee relationships come out, is when you ask and you give them a reason why you're even asking to talk to them. Because a lot of times women feel like, I have so much on my plate. Don't Please don't ask me to be your mentor. And I get that. But it's it's much more than that. There's so many different things that a mentor and a mentee can can share with each other. And I do believe that the mentor learns more from the mentee than you can possibly imagine. So I always say, just ask. The worst they could say is no. The best they can say is yes. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. And I like what you just said, especially about it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship. You know, a mentor and mentee is not just expounding all of your knowledge onto an individual, but it's gaining as much from them as you give them. So I think that's an important part that gets glossed over a lot right. in mentorship. 
agree. So sticking on leadership, what do you think is the most significant barrier to women in leadership? Part of it, if you ask them directly, they will say it's themselves. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times we do self-sabotage. You know, if we're not 100% ready to be in a leadership position, we don't even look at it. Where a man, if they're 60% ready, they're going for it. And so I think part of it is our own, you know, limiting beliefs and our own barriers that we set for ourselves. But the other part is that it's also about the company and the culture again. You know, if there is an opportunity and it's already been, you know, earmarked for John and Paul and, and Ringo, then that's where it's going. But if your person at the top doesn't know his, his people, how would he know that you would be the perfect person for that opening that's coming? So I think it's a combination of opening up doors of opportunities, but also being able to open them ourselves and being able to say, I can do this. I am good enough to do this and get rid of some of those limiting beliefs because we do it to ourselves. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter anything at the most inopportune moment that little internal chatter comes up and said, what are you, are you kidding? Really? Don't do that. And we think, okay, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. So we do self-sabotage ourselves and we just have to have somebody either to talk to or we have to learn how to rewind those tapes and put them back where they belong, you know, out the door somewhere. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think I heard you say, it might have been last year or definitely 2019, I, 2020 is kind of a blur. Um, <laughs> but at the Women's Conference in, in 2019, you were, you were talking about this topic and I think one of the things you had said and along the lines of what you're talking about is women don't apply for jobs unless they think they're 100% qualified with every, check every single box. Whereas men, a lot of times, will apply for jobs that maybe they could select half of half of the boxes or a few of the boxes. But women almost over-prepare and right. limits ourselves in applying for some of those positions. So I think that's a really important thing to recognize. Yeah. Yes, because they miss a, a great opportunity, and that's the truth. And there's a lot of companies that when they advertise, they say things that are, like, for instance, they would say, master's degree preferred. They didn't say required. So if I'm looking at it and I don't have a master's degree, I'm like, okay, they, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready. I can't do this. They're not looking for me. Where they said preferred, and I've talked to, uh, you know, recruiting companies, and I said, take out the word preferred, put required in, or take the whole thing out, because you're going to miss people that feel that you really want that. And if you really want that, say it's required. And so I think, uh, you know, it's all in the messaging. Who are you talking to? You know, as an, if you're putting an ad out there, you have to make sure that you're talking to the person that you're looking for, not eliminating people before they even have that opportunity. Great. So switching gears just a little bit, but trying to stay on topic. In your book, Walking on the Glass Floor, you talk about being generous and in terms of giving without expectation of receiving. And I love that point. However, I think for women sometimes, we're very used to always saying yes to everything. And I just want to make sure those two aren't confused that being generous doesn't necessarily mean that you have to say yes to everything that somebody asks of you. You're 100% correct. You do not have to say yes to everything. What you do want to do is you want to be generous with your time as it, it works for you. It's like saying, I want to be successful. Well, what's that definition? So generosity is your definition of being generous. I could not possibly mentor all the women that have asked me to do it. And so what I would do is I would say, I have someone else that I think would be great for you, or we can revisit it, you know, in six months or so, because I can't, I, I physically can't do that. So I always, I mean, my point is, 
when you offer something, you have to make sure that you're able to deliver. You know, it's the old under promise over deliver as opposed to the other way. But generosity doesn't mean yes, 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 because that means if you say yes to everything, you're saying no to something that is really important. And when that comes up, you won't be able to do it. So being generous is with your time, with your brilliance, with your expertise, whatever it is, but it's also being present. So when you're trying to be generous with somebody, if you're thinking you're being generous, but you're looking at your watch or you're looking down all the time at some kind of electronic thing, um, that's also not being generous. So it, it there's a lot of different pieces to it, but it definitely does not mean, let's say yes to everything. That's not what generosity is. No, so don't, no. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talk a lot about building relationships and especially with your experience in sales and in leadership, you know, I think you're always selling yourself to a certain degree, even if you're not in a sales role. And even what you mentioned before, just about getting into those leadership positions, the leadership has to know you and they have to know who you are. And that's a component of selling yourself. And I think that all comes through building of relationships. In today's environment, especially with what happened in 2020 and in the environment we're still in today, everything's done virtually. So what tips do you have for people to build relationships virtually? Because it is a different experience than sitting you know, with somebody having a drink or getting a cup of coffee. It is different, but it isn't different. Because if you think about it, like I, I work with a lot of um, people in the financial in, industry and they'll say the same thing to me. I can't have that initial uh, meeting with somebody because it's virtual. And so I'll say to them, so on your first meeting, do you just whip out an application and say, let's do this? And they go, oh no, we sit down and we have coffee. And I said, so invite somebody for a virtual coffee and for 15 minutes, same thing that you would do outside, do it here. And then you know, the, then you schedule your next appointment. How, what would you do on your second appointment? So we go through the whole process and it's really the same. What's different is you can't shake somebody's hand or give them a hug or anything else that you would ordinarily do in you know, person to person, face to face meeting. But it doesn't mean that it's, it has to be something that you cannot do. There's also tons of events that are virtual, which actually makes it easier for people because you don't leave your house and then you don't have to worry about traffic and you don't have to worry about, well, this is gonna be on top of this. You can look, there's events everywhere, networking events that you can attend. There's all kinds of organizations that put on events and most of them are open. You know, the ones that are closed, you can't go to. But you also have to be careful that you don't, you know, overextend yourself. And so you're on, like I've been on Zoom, you know, days where it's one after another, after another, after another, after another. And then I can't create relationships because I'm, I'm tired. You know, I just, I'm, I'm, I don't have any more energy. So you have to be careful of that. But there's such great ways to do it. Um, we've been on different webinars where, or events where there's a theme. You know, you could have like crazy hat day or you could have it during the holidays, it's ugly sweater day. And that breaks the ice. And so you can start to build relationships. But the best ideas really are when there's a lot of people, you put them in breakout rooms. So there's individual, you know, small groups. Or you could still do, still build the same relationships. You can go on to LinkedIn and invite a group of your colleagues and say, hey, let's jump onto uh, Zoom or go to meeting or, you know, Teams or whatever, and um, let's have lunch. You know, I have a lunch date today with a colleague of mine because I haven't seen her in a long time and it's time to catch up. So we have a lunch date. It's the same thing. You just have to be able to invest in those relationships and then you have to be able to nurture them. 
So it doesn't mean that it's always virtual. You can, you know, send an email. You can send something. I saw an article and I thought about you. Here it is. You know, have a great day. Not always about business. It's about investing in the relationship that you started. So yes, it's different, but it's not that different. You know, don't don't like stop doing business because you can't see people in person. And I think that's such a good point, especially with attending some of the virtual conferences and networking opportunities. I know for me, I've been able to attend things that I would have otherwise had to travel to, and I just don't have the time to to travel to some of those places. But I was able to attend because I can do it virtually, you know, in my yoga pants and slippers, <laughs> and uh, attend things here, that otherwise okay. I probably <laughs> I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. Um, I would say I'm a big fan of the virtual happy hour, um, way cheaper to supply my own liquor, and I don't have to worry about driving home. So that's been a big win for me over this last year. I have a group of women that I, you know, we, we have a group that meets every other week, and it's a business group. It's one of my groups that I facilitate. And um, yesterday, one of the members did a virtual scavenger hunt, because each one of them has to teach at some point so she was doing a virtual scavenger hunt and she did not tell anybody what they had to do beforehand but when you got on and she you know gave the introduction she had created the things she wants you to look for you had 45 seconds per item and they were very meaningful to the group so talk about that that is like creativity you know up the yin yang it was so awesome <laughs> and everybody loved it nobody wanted it to end so yeah there's a, there's great things you could do yeah, that's fun. The amount of innovation that's happened in the last few years, I think, has been remarkable because we're adaptable people and figure out how to do things. So that's a great point. Um, you talk a lot about in, in your books and in some of your speeches about being authentic. And I think that's such a great point. I do think today it becomes an overused word, and I don't think people fully appreciate what authenticity really means. So I was hoping you could give us a little bit of insight into what you mean by authentic. But for me, being authentic is how you show up. How, when you walk into a room, what do people think about when they know you? What, what, how do they think you're gonna show up? And if they don't know you, how do they think you're gonna show up? So to me, it's, it's who you are. And if you try to be somebody else or you try to compare yourself to somebody else, you have to remember all the stories and and how that's supposed to look. If you just know who you are and are comfortable with who you are, that's what it's all about. If I walk into a room, you know, most people will say, she's gonna have her boots on, she'll have her leather jacket on, you know, and she's funny, that's who I am, I'm just funny. But, um, but when I used to walk into a room, that wasn't the case because I wasn't sure who I was. And so I would just not talk to anybody in the beginning and people thought I was unapproachable and intimidating, that's not who I am but that's what they thought I was. So perception is re becomes reality. And so I had to figure out like, who, who am I? And who, how am I showing up? And when that happened, my coach said to me, it's because you're an introvert. And when you walk into a room and don't know people, you're very aloof and you wait for people to come to you. So that's what happens. So you have to be able to do something to create the, the opening because once you do, then people know you. And so you have to be, that, that's what I'm saying, you have to know who you are and really believe it. And when somebody tells you that you're something that you're not, you have to figure out why that's happening. So what I always tell people to do is to be being authentic, write down like three to five words that describe you and just put it aside and then ask people that you, you know, like, and trust to do the same thing about you and then look at the different list and see if what you, how you're showing up is what they see. 
Because if it's in alignment, perfect. And if it's not, then what are you going to do about it? Is this really who you are? Or is this who you are? And so that's when you when you can really own it, then you're being authentic. And that's how you show up. And then people know, oh, that's who she is. Yeah, she's awesome. Whether she's on stage or on the radio or whatever, this is her. And so that's what I'm saying. You know, you know, perception is reality. And sometimes the way people perceive you is the way you are showing up. And that's you authentically or not. So you have to decide, like, where, who are you? Whatever you, even your imperfections, it's uniquely you. That. That's you. I think it makes everything easier once you really come to that understanding about yourself. Everything becomes easier. Um, you don't have to overthink things and you accept who you are. So I love that. Um, in March, as I mentioned in the beginning, in March, you're going to be hosting, it's a new series for Mahita. <clears throat> excuse me, it's called Leading with Confidence. It's a seven-week virtual networking and learning series designed specifically for women in material handling. I myself will be attending, really Whoa. pumped about it, but I was wondering if you could tell some of our listeners a little bit about what to expect, especially since this is a new program. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. So what we decided to do was to do like a, you know, a, a book review and it's based on my book, Walking on the Glass Floor. And so there's seven different qualities that are really essential qualities for a leader to have. And again, when I say leader, I'm not saying you have to have a lead, a, you know, a group of a, of a thousand, it's leading this. You have to be able to show up like that. And um, so we're gonna go through each one of the uh, qualities. We're gonna have, you know, all kinds of interactive exercises and, and everybody will have the book and we're gonna refer to the book because there's so many good things in that book that it's very self-reflective. So you're going to learn a lot about yourself, but it's going to be so cool because we have so many great things coming up. And um, I'm just thrilled that we could put together this partnership. And um, I'm excited for the, the women of Mahita. Well, good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So you have made it to the most exciting part of all uh -oh. of our podcasts. This comes back uh -oh. time after time, our, our listeners. So you've made it to the Holding on. <laughs> um, the, the lightning round is 10 questions that I will ask you. And just the first thing that comes to your head, I try to keep them as appropriate as possible. So um, are you ready for this? Holding on. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> all right. I always like to start easy. What's something you could eat for a week straight? M&Ms. Do you have a particular color or do you eat all the colors? It doesn't matter. I, have, I can't even buy them. I have to hide them from myself. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite Starbucks order? Oh, I would have to just say water. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. So I don't, I've never even had a sip. So I can't say, I wouldn't even know how to order it if I did. So I would just have to say water. In your whole life? That's a question on its own. Wow. <laughs> um would you want to live forever uh, in some ways yes in some ways no i would like to live forever because i'd like to be with my family forever that's the only reason but i think that at some point you know i'm, I'm going to be you know i don't know if my brain will be still with it or my body will still be with it but for, for right now i want to live forever as long as i'm supposed to with all my babies do you have a favorite carnival food? We haven't been to carnivals in so long, but do you have a carnival food? Okay, so again, I'm going to blow up first your bubble. I'm a vegetarian, so I would say it would have to be like funnel cake. Yes, yeah, funnel cake. <laughs> <laughs> or anything with them. I think in Texas, when we have it, they probably have fried M&Ms, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, don't you guys have like the deep fried Oreos, deep fried Twinkies, Butter. that whole yeah. 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 <laughs> 
All right, when people stand up for a standing ovation, are you usually one of the earlier people to stand up or the later people to stand up? Early, early. If I, if I don't care if nobody else stands up, if I believe that there's a reason to do it, I am one of the first up. Would you rather be besties with Beyonce or Rihanna? I would say Beyonce. I'd like to, her to teach me to dance like that. I mean, she could teach some things, I think. I think um, so. <laughs> how would you rate your karaoke scale, skills on a scale from one to Mariah Carey? Oh, my God. Like, zero. <laughs> that is probably the scariest thing. I think I did it once, and I was like, no way. Um, yeah, I would say maybe one. Maybe one. If, if one is the Everybody worst. Everybody has at least a one. Everybody has at least a one they can okay, do. I'll do a one. What's your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is people that don't listen at all and either they'll tune you out, dismiss you or say, I've already done that. I've tried everything. I just don't, I don't like people that don't listen. It, it makes me absolutely crazy. What's your favorite childhood TV show? Mr. Rogers, because he always said, look for the helpers. And I thought he was talking directly to me. And I thought all these people are going to come to me because I was the helper. And he really wasn't. You know, I just watched a documentary on, on him, and it was really good. It's a really inspirational story. Yes. Um, what is the best thing that happened to you in 2020? The best thing that happened to me in 2020 was um, 2020, really, because it, uh, it, it opened up so many different opportunities that they weren't on my radar. It never would have been open to it. And um, the, although I couldn't see or be with my family, I did get to spend time on, you know, virtually, but I think 2020 itself was great for uh, collaboration and opportunities. Awesome. Well, you have made it through our lightning oh, round with oh. flying colors. Oh, uh, <laughs> and that brings us sadly to the end of our podcast today, but I want to give you an opportunity just to leave our listeners with any kind of last words. So I, I would say that every single day there are an opportunities and, and I do believe that they are all around us. You just have to be open to them. So look for them. They're not going to show up with a neon light. They're not going to show up flashing with a big bow on it. There's opportunities in front of us every single day. And when we are not open to them, they go zipping by. So stop looking down all the time. Look straight ahead. Look people in the eye and just create the opportunities that you want or be open to those. Because I do believe that there are so many different things right in front of us and we just have to you know take them well thank you so much judy uh, this was a really enjoyable time and um, i'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it so thank you again you guys have been listening to mojita talks with sherry altergat we'll see you next time thank you